0: So Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I know that many of you um, <clears throat> have had the uh the experience of of raising children in your home. Many of you are doing that right now, and all of you were at one time children who were being raised in a home somewhere, so we all have that in common. Those of you who have been parents or have been around parents and small children, you know that the one of the most difficult and sometimes frustrating Parts of parenting is dealing with the why question. That small children, there's a, certainly there's a there's an age where the why question gets repeated often. What are we having for dinner tonight? We're having meatloaf. Why? Because that's what that's what yeah. we decided to have. Why? Why can't we go to the park? What's well, it's raining. Why? Well, because the Lord purposed for it to rain. Because the plants need water to grow. Why? You know, it very rapidly becomes frustrating. Sometimes I, I have wanted to grab a, a toddler by the arms and say, are you messing with me right now? What do you mean, why? You know, because but it's not a bad question, though, right? It can be frustrating because you don't know how to answer, but it isn't a bad question. In fact, why questions are very important not just for children, for adults, right? The why question is sometimes neglected by adults uh, when it shouldn't be. The question of why we do things or why things are the way they are is important in really in the grandest sense of all. If you think about life and the universe in which we are living, the question of why does all of this exist why are we here, is a very significant question, isn't it? Are are we here purely by accident? The the random product of uh, cosmic and chemical reactions, and, and here we are, and there's no purpose for us? Or are we here, as the catechism says, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? made by a creator who is wise and good and loves us and has a purpose for us, there's a significant difference there. We may believe very different things about why and still be getting up and going to work in the morning, but it matters why we're here. It matters not only in those grand things, it also matters in the very small details. Why you who change diapers, why are you changing diapers? It matters to think about that the purpose behind it. It matters, friends, for us to think this morning, why are we gathered here? I mean, gathered here as opposed to at the park or at the lake or in front of the television. Why are we here in this place this morning? Why did you come to church today? Why are we singing these songs that we're singing? Why, why did we put money in a plate that was passed down the row in front of us? It really matters. I think it it does matter, especially in matters of religion and matters of the soul. Why are we doing the things that we're doing? I think that I think that Cain would agree with that. He who brought the offering but did not bring it with faith. I think that Israel in the Old Testament before the exile would agree with that. Those who acknowledged the Lord with their lips but their hearts were far from Him. The Pharisees would agree that the the why is important. Those who offered up their prayers as to be heard by men and not by God. The Lord Jesus acknowledged that the why is important when he commended his disciples and us after them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, I bring this up because the question of why and the importance of why is definitely a principle that is in the background of today's text that I just read to us. We, we've been studying the, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul has laid out here. We've been studying the fruit of the Spirit slowly, one at a time, relatively carefully. Paul lays these things out, these, these virtues, these qualities that are to be found in the Christian life, but he's also very careful to say why they're to be found in the life of Christians. Now, we've spent several weeks away from our text in Galatians, um, the last few Sundays that Pastor Martin preached here, um, but we're returning now this morning, and according to my calculations, we're going to continue in Galatians uh, this month and through June. We'll finish at the end of June. Um, It's been a a long study, but I hope it's been a good study. Uh, But this morning we're going to return back to our our text in Galatians, and I want to give you just a very brief sort of contextual recap so we can figure out where we are you remember that the church in Galatia Paul had preached the gospel to them they had believed and the church had been established there but after Paul had left some false teachers had come in false teachers that are often called Judaizers because what they had begun to teach to the people there was that you're not saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone trusting in him but rather in order to really please God and find his favor, you've got to to keep all the requirements of the law, uh, particularly circumcision and some of these things. You've got to to submit yourself to the whole Mosaic law if you're really going to please God. The faith in Christ is necessary, but it's not enough. Now, Paul found out about this. He wrote a letter to the Galatians, which is the book of Galatians that, that we've been studying, to correct this false teaching. No. It is not through the law that we please God. It is through faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone that we come to the Father. And it is by His grace alone that we are saved. Not a mixture of His grace and our works. It is Him and Him only who saves. It's His blood that pleads, not our works. Now, Paul has spent several chapters making this case repeatedly in a variety of ways and it does sort of beg the question then well then does it matter how i live if if salvation is by grace alone and faith alone and not by my works well then do my works matter does it matter how i do how i live my life can i can i not just uh give myself over to sin with this new freedom that i have Uh, and that's what paul is addressing in this latter part of Galatians. No, it does matter how you live. Paul was accused of preaching a gospel that led to that. You remember in Romans chapter 6, what, should we sin should we now so that grace may abound? No. And evidently, some of the Galatians uh, were thinking this way. In chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says, you're called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Evidently, some of them were, were tempted to think this way and so, "Well, well, now, since I'm justified by faith alone, well, then, you know, how I live, I can just serve myself. And Paul says, no, absolutely, that's not the case. For those justified by the grace of God in Christ alone, it absolutely does matter how you live. Obedience, holiness, righteousness in your life, it matters greatly. It just matters for an entirely different reason than the Judaizers were teaching. They were teaching that it matters how you live, Your holiness, your obedience, your righteousness, according to the law, it matters because salvation depends on it. God's favor is earned and kept in this way. And Paul is teaching, no, no. Obedience, holiness, righteousness matters, not because it merits the favor of God, but because the unmerited favor of God has made us new creatures, has made us new people. We're not who we were, Now we are a new creation in Christ, and we should walk in keeping with this reality that we are somebody new. We're going to get to it here in the coming weeks, but chapter 6, verse 15 is really a summary of Paul's explanation of the motive here, the why. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, that is the works of the law in the flesh, but a new creation. That's what he said. you might think of it in these terms here. Righteousness, obedience, holiness now in the Christian life is not about getting God to do something, but it is very much because of what he has done and who he is. It's the difference in some ways. You might think of of Charlie being attentive to Gretchen, who's now my wife, the way I was attentive to her before we got married because I wanted her to be my wife versus the way that I am attentive to her now when I'm being a good husband because she is my wife. I'm not trying to get her to do something. There's no fear or self-interest motivated there. It is gratitude and loving faithfulness. You see what I'm saying? That's the difference. That's the the why that Paul is explaining here. It's not the same it, it is righteousness, but it's not for the same reason that the Judaizers were teaching It is for this entirely new reason, this why, because I am Christ's and he is mine. And because I'm his and born again by the Spirit, I'm no longer who I was. So now I live a new life in keeping with my new identity. Now, we will talk in some more detail about this next week when we look at verse 25. But today, uh, in in these verses here, I want to make a few observations. about what it is that Paul is saying in closing his list of the fruit of the Spirit, and specifically how he describes this life of obedience and holiness that is driven by this this new why. In verse 23, at the end of this list of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul Paul ends the list with self-control, and then he says, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I want to make a few observations about what Paul is saying here and what that says about the new life driven by this, this new why when we think of discipleship and faithfulness and righteousness as we practically live out our faith before the Lord. Um, I, have, I have four qualities, uh, all, of, all of which start with the letter P. And I almost titled this sermon Four Sweet Peas but I thought that was maybe pushing it. Um, and I'm not sure that we're going to get through all four. We may just get through two this morning, and the other the other two I'll talk about later or uh, communicate with you in some other way. Uh, but the first one that I want to point out to you, the first quality of the new life of discipleship that Paul uh, describes here is that the life of discipleship for the Christian is positive it's positive. Verse 23b Paul says against such things there is no law. Now what does he mean by that? I think it's likely he means a couple of different things, but among other things Paul is contrasting his exhortation to righteousness and holiness according to the fruit of the spirit from that of the judaizers. The judaizers who were who were legalists at heart, they were teaching that holiness, godliness it really, in the end, is is all in terms of prohibition. It's all in terms of, of not this, not that, not with that person, not that person. It's all about boundaries and lines drawn. And Paul is rather pointing to the fact that that the new life in Christ is not primarily categorized in those terms but rather in the positive terms of the character of Christ and calling us to strive after it. If you think the the Pharisees and the Judaizers after them were saying, don't cross this line, don't go over here. And Paul is, is much more with the Spirit calling further up and further in. He's pointing towards a goal to which they are to be running, not to the boundary from which they are to be fleeing. Now, the Judaizers thought that godliness, the reason that they taught this way and thought this way because part of it was that they thought that godliness was really a matter of staying clean, keeping worldly influences, keeping sin influences at at an arm's length, as if the human heart were sinless apart from external influences. But Paul knew better than that. You all know better than that, in part because the Lord Jesus teaches explicitly otherwise. In Mark chapter 7, a text that some of you all know very well, in a discussion about the, the matter of uh, clean and unclean food, Jesus tells his disciples this, verse 20, Mark, Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. and They defile a person. Now because this is the case, that sin is not just a matter of being corrupted, our pure, perfect heart being corrupted by outside things, but rather the corruption is coming from inside. You know, the calls coming from inside the house. They're already in here. The sin is already in my heart. Because that's the case. We need far more than just a prohibition to be made righteous. We need far more than just upgraded rules to make us righteous. We need a new heart, don't we? When the system is pumping out filth, the system needs to be changed out. Not just tweaked and modified. That's what the Judaizers weren't getting, what Paul was getting, what the Lord Jesus taught. You need recreation and new life. You remember his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he says that unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless someone is made new all over again, And recreated, they cannot be righteous at all. And this is exactly what has happened in justification. This is exactly what's happened in the salvation of the gospel that Paul is preaching the gospel of the new birth, the gospel of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. He points to it in John chapter 3 in that very well known verse, verse 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. That whoever believes, whoever trusts in the Son, not whoever submits to the Mosaic Law, not whoever gets all their ducks in a row, finally, not even those who make a sincere effort at it, but those who believe in Him, who put their trust in Him and Him alone, those are the ones who will have eternal life, who will be born again, who will be made new, whose hearts will be recreated and regenerated. Which means a life of holiness, friends, can never be just a matter of keeping sinful influences at arm's reach. It can never be just a matter of prohibition, the way that the Judaizers were teaching it. Just avoiding certain things. It must be walking in a new way of life. In other words, Christian discipleship, the new way of life in Christ, is a matter of running towards something, not running away from it. That's what I mean when I say it's positive. When Paul says, against such things there is no law, he's pointing to the fact that this life of discipleship that they're being called to is a fundamentally positive one. Not reaction, but a striving after. Christian discipleship, the practical recreation of life in Christ's image, is a fundamentally positive affair. And friends, if we begin to think of it otherwise, as primarily negative. uh, We have lost sight of what's really going on. And we very quickly begin to think in sub-Christian categories. True Christian holiness, godliness, righteousness, is not about more and more restrictions being put on my life. It is about casting off that slavery that came from sin and death and running with all of my might into the new life that is mine in the Lord Jesus Christ in me, His life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. The life of Christian godliness, in other words, is not a truncated, restricted life, but it is rather life abundant. Let me pause there. Do you know that? Do you think in those terms? When you think about godliness, sanctification, obedience, righteousness, walking as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, do you remember that this is a process that is primarily, ultimately, fundamentally positive. It's something being remade. Even as we talk of it in terms of something being put to death, it is very much that. But it's something being put to death to be resurrected. Do we remember that? I think it's very important that we do. Young people especially, it's very important that we remember that. Because the world is going to say to us the exact opposite that to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and to live in a manner of biblical discipleship is to truncate your life and to limit it and to cut off all kinds of good things that you could be having. As some of you adults can testify to that. The world's going to try to paint discipleship in those terms. If you're faithful to Christ in this way, that means you don't get to experience this, you don't get to experience this, you don't get to experience this. There's all kinds of good things out there that you're not going to get if you keep this restricted little fundamentalist kind of life that you live. That's what people talk about. But that is not remotely the case. In fact, the world's always talked about it that way. The world's talked about it that way since Genesis chapter 3, hasn't it? I mean, wasn't that the devil's case that he made to Eve? Oh, no, if you obey, you're missing out, right? I mean, isn't that exactly what he said? Well, not exactly what he said, but that the gist of what he said. No, there's, there's blessing out there. There's enjoyment. out there. there's, there's fruit out there that you can't taste, and it's good. God does not have your best interest in mind. He's keeping you narrow. He's keeping you in line here. Cast off those shackles. Rebellion is positive. Obedience is negative. That's the way that the devil cast it. And that's the way that the world still does today. You're gonna miss out. We'll miss out on miss out on what? And when we really get down to it, it isn't such a persuasive case. Miss out on what? Adultery? Miss out on on drunkenness? Miss out on greed and pride and unforgiveness and hate? Adam would tell you. Miss out on shame, on guilt, on death. We can miss out on those things. Forsaking those things is not a truncating of life. It's not a a narrowing of life. It's not missing out on anything. In fact, it's the opposite. To cast off the works of the flesh, to walk in concert with the Spirit, is to cast off shackles. The world's going to cast discipleship in a negative light, in this paring down, narrowing light, but the Scriptures are going to say the opposite. This is what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. Remember, my my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You find rest for your soul with me. The commands of God are not burdensome. There is rest for the soul with Christ. It's very important that we remember that, friends, because the world is saying something very different. and It's saying it very loudly. Discipleship is about life abundant. And walking with Christ in holiness is about real life. Because Christ Himself is life. Now, that brings me to my second point. This is the this will be the last point that I make that I make this morning. The first thing that Paul says about this this life of discipleship is that it is it is positive. It is a striving after. But he also makes it very clear that it's personal. In verse chapter five verse of Galatians again, back to our text. Verse 24, he begins by saying in this verse, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the Judaizers, for those false teachers among the Galatians, godliness was all about conformity merely to a legal code, to a dead standard. But what Paul was teaching the Galatians was that it was not conformity to a dead standard that was godliness, but rather walking willingly in friendship with someone who is really alive, with somebody who really came in the flesh and really submitted himself to our sins and really took them to the cross. And really died in our place. And then really rose from the dead. And is really still alive today. Paul was speaking about it in the one generation after. I'm speaking about it to you 2,000 years later. Without joking, without irony, there is a man alive in the universe today who's been alive for 2,000 years. In the flesh. In fact, there was no beginning to him. He was uncreated. He lived forever, but then he came in the flesh, and he rose again. And in resurrected flesh, he's lived for 2,000 years, and he is alive at this hour, this moment as I speak to you. And the clock is ticking on his return. He will come back, and we will see him, because he's not a myth or a figment of anybody's imagination. He's not merely a tradition. He is alive. And walking with him, godliness, is a matter of Fellowship with him. It's not just conformity to some dead religious standard. That's what Paul is pointing at I think, when he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus. Not just those who want to be good people. Not just those who want to be good Christians. Those who want to please Those who belong to Christ Jesus. Those who are his and who have laid a hold of him by faith and said, He is mine. He rose and he lives. Now, I've made this point to you before. I made this point many times at All Nations Church. I've made it here uh, in this pulpit before, and I, I will continue making this point to you again and again because, honestly, friends, this is like fresh air for my soul. You know, This is like water for my soul. We are not practitioners of a religion. We're not, not merely adherents to a lifestyle not even practitioners of the best religion, right? No, we are those who have recognized that Jesus Christ is alive and He is the Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, the King of kings. He has mercy on all who come to Him and He is coming back in right? power. That's what we have in common here. That's who we are. That's what our identity is. And friends, because of that, Walking in righteousness, walking in obedience, walking in holiness, godliness, is not about us. Not about us becoming better people. It's very much about Him and who He is. I was talking with a a sister in the church this last week, and she said that she was at the bookstore and was looking for a a book on a certain topic that would have fallen in the self-help category. And somebody there at the bookstore said, oh, all the self-help stuff is over in Christian spirituality now. That's the, way, that's the way that the world thinks about Christianity as a form of self-help. And that's the way some of us, if we're not careful, begin to think of it that way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These things are about improving my life, improving the quality of my life, becoming a better person, living my best life now. These kind of things. Oh, but friends, that's not true Christianity at all. The true Christianity, the, this is not about me. It is about him. My life is about Him. What we're doing this morning here is about Him. The songs that we're singing, it's very much about Him. It may I may feel good when I'm singing them. I like to hear people's voices, but that's not what it's about. You can go to any concert and hear voices. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Being gathered here this morning is not about us getting some tips for living or to get pumped up to make it through the week. It's about Christ being honored and the heavens ring with the faith of His people when they worship. We'll see it on the last day. Putting putting our our penny in the offering plate as it goes by is not about making sure that God is pleased with me to bless me. It's about recognizing as our brother prayed, all of this is His. I could give it all to him and he'll take care of me. It's about thanksgiving. The fruit of the Spirit, friends, is not about us improving ourselves. It is about living a life of willing friendship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and lives today. It's about recognizing that my Savior is alive and He loves sinners. He has loved me. And so I want to to love Him back. And I want to walk with Him in a way of love. I want to love sinners. I want to love even my enemies. I want to love Him and I want to love what He has made and I want to honor Him in that way. And the same with all of the fruit of the Spirit, all the virtues of the Christian life. It's not about I want to be a more joyful person because I don't like being sad. That's true. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and He is anointed with the oil of gladness beyond His companions. And He has brought me in. And I live in His embrace and He rejoices and I want to rejoice with Him. I want to rejoice with him in the midst of this life full of sorrow because I know that this life is not the end. And even in this life, he's with me and holds me. That's what, what peace is about. It's not about just I, I don't like fighting with people and I don't I want to be somebody with more peace in my life so I can rest. So the, the one who died for me and lives, who holds me, he is the prince of peace. And he paid such a great price to reconcile me to God. I want to be reconciled to everybody. I want to forgive and be forgiven and be reconciled because Christ is alive and he's the Lord of peace. You see what I'm saying? It's very personal in that way. It's not about a dead standard. It's not about just a legal code. It is about somebody. The standard, the fruit of the Spirit, is describing someone. And it's somebody who we love. Because he loved us first. And to walk in light of these things is to walk in the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to walk with Him in fellowship. He who is the love of my life, who loved me and gave me life. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit is about walking with Him, willingly as a friend. Like Psalm 32 says, not being drug along like a mule that has to be drugged by a bit and bridle, but saying, yes, Lord, where are we going? I'll go with you. We walk in love, joy, peace, patience, because that's who you are. And that's who you have made me friends there is a day coming very soon where all those who are in Christ all of this age is going to pass away the i mean i'm not exactly sure how it's going to transpire but the very earth itself will be remade and we will see him as he is we'll see the lord jesus christ in resurrected flesh and on that day i'm not going to be you know, a husband, a father, a pastor, a homeowner, a pet owner, all those things that identify me in various ways right now. All I'm going to be is his. There's not a special section for preachers. There's not a special section for anybody. There's those who are his standing before him. And I'm going to see his face and and finally know him as I am known and be remade ultimately, perfectly, in his image. I'll be like him. And the angels of heaven will look at all the saints of God and say, my goodness, look what God has done. They all look just like him. Look at his glory radiating in his church. Believing that gospel is the why of obedience and righteousness and holiness now that's going to happen. I want it to be true now. I want to be like my Lord now. I want to walk with him in obedience now. I don't want to live like I'm still under the burden of death and the shackles of sin and self. I don't want to live enslaved to the passions of the flesh. I want to live in fellowship with him, him who died for me and who lives at this very hour. That's this this new why. Friends, it is a life worth living. Some of you here in this room, you, you may not be Christ's in the sense that I'm talking about. You may not have given yourself to him in genuine faith that way. Give yourself to him. It is worth doing. He is worth worshiping. He's worth trusting in. And the final day to see him. The final day is coming. Whether we acknowledge it or not, he has said it is so. And all brothers and sisters, those of you who have put your trust in Christ, to cast your cares on him, to put your hopes in him, to trust in him, and to follow him, to walk in this way of discipleship, it is a life worth living. It is not something negative. It is not about this restriction on that restriction. It is about fleeing from sin. It is about abhorring what is evil, but in order that we might cling to what is good. It's about running away from slavery to sin in order that we might walk in newness of life. And it is very much personal. It's about walking in newness of life with Him. Fellowship with our Lord right here and now to taste that which is coming when we walk with Him in obedience and holiness. It's worth doing the life of discipleship is worth it. Now, we have an opportunity here as a family to remember these things in the special way of taking the Lord's Supper together. Our brother's going to come and explain it here in a moment. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song together, a response. But I encourage you, as we take this table together, think about these things. Think about Him who died and was raised and lives even this moment. And think about what He is calling us to. And give yourself to Him. Give yourself to Him again. Amen? Amen. Let's let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank You for the good gift of the gospel and thank You for Jesus Christ. Our hope is in Him. We look forward to the day when we awaken His presence and are satisfied with His likeness. Oh, help us, Lord, to have faith even now as we sing and take this supper together. Oh, strengthen our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.